Shut up and sit down. I don't recommend that you do. And that is try to bolt a whole bowl of spaghetti in like 10 minutes because I forgot to eat. And so I have to eat before the podcast or I'm going to end up being sick during the podcast. And so I cooked spaghetti for dinner, but I didn't eat what my husband did. And so I went down there and I heated up my spaghetti and I get back up here and I I got like 10 minutes to eat it. I just finished the last mouthful before the music started. I think I might have actually given myself heartburn for how fast I ate it versus, you know, the actual spaghetti part. Anyways, anyways, I've accomplished this. We'll see how it goes. But I don't recommend it. (laughs) You're going to have to eat something fast, make a sandwich. Spaghetti is not the appropriate choice, especially, well, no, it's actually angel hair pasta, so that's even worse, because angel hair is so, anyways, anyways, are you laughing at me? I'm laughing at so many things. (laughs) (laughs) I got your PM, good Lord. Yeah. hobby where we see which one of us can pot the eight ball <laughs> first. In the middle of the game. In the middle of the game. <laughs> we we have had some wild shots that resulted in that eight ball getting sunk. I didn't I sink it on the first shot? On that first shot, my first shot. You had broke you broke and then I took my first shot and there were some wild ricochets and then the game was over and I went and then it was like, boom. Okay. <laughs> Done. Well, better than one of those games where the eight ball is lurking right at the edge of a pocket and we spend the whole game, you know, carefully tiptoeing around it. And trying to nudge it away from the pocket. This is a, um, a digital game of pool, by the way, for those of you who, who might be confused about what we're talking about. Or billiards if you're in another country and don't know what pool means. Anyways. <clears throat> yes. Oh, my plot hasn't jumped the shark, but my plot is, and I spent so much time, you guys, going through various plot ideas, trying to find a small idea. We talked about it incessantly over three podcasts. We spent six hours talking about this topic. And I'm halfway through my first story, and I'll be lucky to get under 30K. Well, on the one hand, I'm sorry. It really sucks (laughs) when you, it really sucks when you, um, 
when you aim for something, you don't get there. So that really sucks. On the other hand, you know, I I personally appreciate that you aren't shortchanging the story to try to hit your word count because um, that really sucks. You know, when you, sometimes you can tell, like, as soon as you're reading something, it's like somebody shortchanged the story to try to hit a word count. And, you know, I, I it sucks when you don't meet your goal, but on the other hand, um, you know, it sort of sucks more when the story feels fragmented and choppy and incomplete. Yeah. I mean, you know, while it's important to meet workout goals in professional settings, which is why we do this short story challenge, it's about teaching you a skill and short storytelling is, is, is fast becoming a lost art form. And so I, it's really important and, um, to have this skill as a writer to be able to tell a story in a short form. Um, but I, I talked to Julie about it this week, and we were wondering if maybe 20K as a hard limit is, is too restrictive. Um, and so next year we'll probably do 15 to 25 to give people a little bit more room, especially in, in fandoms like the MCU or Teen Wolf or, for fuck's sake, Harry Potter. It is really hard to cram the world building you need to build a Sentinel AU in these big fantasy fandoms into twenty in, um, into twenty k. Yes, Ellie, I saw that you had completed yours just over the twenty, and it's 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 an example of of how difficult it is to to merge the Sentinel into um, big fandoms. You know, so. Um, been thinking about it. I think we're probably going to go up to 25k next year, um, and I've avoided that in the past because that would equal 50k in July, um, and we do 50k in November. Of course, the minimum would be 30k, not 50. The, the minimum would be 30k. Speaking of minimum word counts, I put a word count potato on the front page of Rough Trade. Um, I have them on my site, too. I used to have the potato on my site all the time, and then I took it down. And I don't know why. Maybe it stopped working for a while. Anyways, they're back up. The potato has returned to my site. And I put it on RT, and I based our word count goal on the minimum number of words, 15K for each story. So that's where that number comes from, for those of you who are curious. <clears throat> <sighs> I need Tums. <laughs> I want you a Tums. Talk, Jilly. <laughs> so we did so. Um, oh, boy, my brain is shorted out. Um, so I had been, I had, I knew doing MCU was going to be a rough thing in 20K. But I, you know, I don't. Looking back at it now, I don't know how I thought that this idea, the original idea I had, was ever accomplishable in 20K. Um, but, you know, I had I had said, you know, this part has to be handled in this amount of words for this to be doable, and this stuff has – so I had I had budgeted how much each part had to, had to happen in. And my opening scene needed to come in under 1,800 words, and I think it was over 4,000. <laughs> that's what so, you knew. Yeah, that's why that's why I knew right away. So I you know, I 
I thought about I got done writing the first scene and I went <laughs> what am I gonna do? So um I, I this is rough trade. It's not sit back and edit it down to eighteen hundred words. And really I don't think that's I think I I could have told that story in exposition in eighteen hundred words. I could not tell it in dialogue in eighteen hundred words. And it's not interesting. It well it might still be interesting, but it's not good writing to just Slap out 1,800 words of exposition at the beginning of your story. So I um, decided to keep it as is because it's, it's a rough draft challenge. It's not a edit yourself to word count. So I posted it the way it was. I think the first post was a little over 4,000 words. Um, and um, and then I spent the next day replotting because there was no way with coming in more than double over budget that I was going to hit the major plot, even, even the, the, the opening of the major plot point, the major plot arc in 20 K, I wasn't going to get there. But so I thought, well, what it allows me to do is do a, another bonding story, another kind of getting together story, um, which is kind of a little bit what I've been kind of intending to avoid. But if I, you know, the bottom line is if I want to avoid a getting together story, I need to start the story with them already bonded. I mean, that's lesson learned. Um, but um, I decided I would use the opportunity in this story to do a better setup for the second story and focus on the relationship of developing and then lay some groundwork for the original plot. So I had to do a quick replot in one day. It wasn't particularly difficult since it's, you know, um, It is what it is. It's 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 a it's a it's a getting together. It's more of a relationship story. Um, and then I promptly the very next post gave myself a plot hole, <laughs> so, which, which I realized after I posted it. Um, you know, I posted it and I went shit, 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 plot hole, um, which was that I. Um, I had them in a time bubble in a temporal kind of in a temporal anomaly where time wasn't moving um, out. Time was basically stopped. Not obviously time was not stopped, but they were kind of in a time dilation field where time was barely moving outside of where they, you know, were. Well, if you're in a bubble where time outside of where you are, isn't moving, you can't very well see outside of your bubble. You just see a bunch of frozen things not happening. And so I ended it on this idea of um, seeing a black hole. And I went, well, there's no way they're going to – I mean, they could see it, but it'd be static. So, you know, and I could have I could have gone with that. but So I kind of had to do a little work around it. I'm not sure it's going to make a lot of sense, but, yeah, it'll be something I, to look at. I understood editing. it. I understood it. I got your meaning. I was still kind of cranky about the whole thing. I'm like, oh, I'm straight from I've messed up my word count to giving myself a plot hole to, I mean, it's just, it was one thing after the other. And then yesterday, I was kind of in a long, yesterday was a really productive day for me writing-wise. I kind of got this kind of long haul, and I'm at 19,000 words, and I've got one major and one minor scene left to write. And I went, well, there goes my word count. <laughs> there it goes. It was nice and to honestly, know you. I for- Yes, but honestly, I'm, it's going to get big. It's going to have editing bloat, and I already know that because as soon as I posted it, 
I realized I had forgotten several um, things I at least needed to acknowledge, not new scenes, but things that needed to be threaded through existing scenes. Like, I forgot that Tony Stark's house, not just his workshop, but that his house is in a shambles at that point in canon. Um, not the whole house, but his living room was destroyed, and it's not like he had an opportunity to fix that. So, um, I, you know, there's just a lot of little things I didn't account for, um, so I need to... Uh, it's going to get a little bit bigger. I would guess it's probably going to get um, between 500 and 1,000 words bigger in edit. So, you know, audio is where it can't go. Which is annoying. Hopes it's gonna... Yeah. It's very annoying that, you know, your word count can bloat during editing because my goal in, in editing is really to remove word count. <laughs> Sit to tighten, yeah. to streamline. So when you go in with 25K and you come out with 40, you're like, fuck you. That's not what I intended. (laughs) (laughs) Where'd you come from? This is ridiculous. But I think that, you know, I talk a lot about um, plotting and how you can learn to estimate your word count. And sometimes you can overestimate and sometimes you can underestimate. And you're like, shit, what happened here? And it's because I I do think dialogue bloat. is um, when you get your characters talking and they're having a good conversation, you don't want it to end, you end up bloating your word count with dialogue. At least I do. So I know where my bloat comes from. I just don't know what to do about it or if I really should do anything about it. And maybe not. I mean, one of the things I think is my strength is natural, natural dialogue is I think it reads pretty naturally um, mm-hmm. So if I tried to put a lot of word economics into my dialogue, it's going to start to sound choppy. Yeah, it would. You're which right. So isn't my goal. And yeah, I mean, sometimes dialogue meanders. So I had one particularly meandering conversation, but um, I actually kind of planned the meander. It just still took more words than I expected. My, if I'm not writing a lot of dialogue, I can be really accurate about my word count estimates. When I have a scene that's very dialogue heavy, and this story was very dialogue heavy, um, I, I, I almost never estimate it correctly. Someone was talking earlier about how you, um, how you learn to do your estimates. Um, and I think that one of the best ways you you learn about your own craft is to read your own work and to be familiar with how you structure scenes. Um, This goes for panthers too. Um, You need to learn your own voice. You need to learn what your voice sounds like. So you'll know when it's awkward and weird. You'll know when you've gone off and jumped the shark. You'll, you'll know. And then you'll be able to say, okay, I can tell this action scene. I did it here, here, and here in these stories, and it was about 2K. Do you see what I mean? And doing Mm -hmm. that um, over a long period of time, learning your own craft and dissecting your own work and reading your own work is the best way to accomplish that. You can't improve if you don't know what's wrong. Yeah. Well, and I've told, I've said people before. Or what could be better. you need to read your own dialogue out loud until you, at least until you get really experienced with the rhythm of writing dialogue 
versus having a conversation because you can think in your head that you've been clear and concise and really your, your dialogue is rife with repetition and redundancy and um, that you skipped over major things and you're stilted or you're long winded and it seems in your head like it's okay. And you really need to kind of get used to hearing. And the thing is in your head, you're not going to notice that it's any of those things, but other people, the minute they read it, they're going to pick up on all of that. So rereading your own work, even reread an old work and read the dialogue out loud, it kind of helps you get a feel for what you need to work on. And also reading your work out loud will teach you um, to avoid using passive language. Yeah. If you read your narrative, if you read your narrative out loud, oh. I hear some of my old work, I'll be like, oh, my God, what were you thinking? No, really, what were you thinking, dude? What? <laughs> what is well, wrong there's, with you? There's, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a type of verb that serves a very – I mean, they have talked about – I mean, I talked about this at some point. But there's a very there's a type of verb that feels – it serves a very specific purpose. And its purpose – and we'll use the word – okay, so the could – the word could, verb could, uh, it's a type of modal verb. And its purpose, when used correctly, um, especially in past tense, is to contrast um, a situation where the actuality sort of defies the probability. So by what that means is like if you're, when a, when a character says that they could feel or could see something, the typical purpose of using could in that context is to say that it is it defies the expectation. So if he could feel it, that implies it's implicit that it's not expected that he would be able to feel it. Like or that or some for somehow it's contrasting what would be at the expectation. So if a character is blindfolded, um, you might have them say. Um, despite the blindfold, he could see shadows moving on the other side of the room. And that is an appropriate use of the word could. But people get into this kind of voice where everything is could. Feel the air on his skin. He could see a guy across the room. Of course, who else is it going to be? There is no one else for it to be. Instead of saying he could feel the air on his skin, you could say... Give a better example. Well, the, 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 more stri- the first straightforward correction would be he felt the air on the skin, his skin. But if you wanted to be more active in that, um, you felt you the know, cool air on his the, skin or the, the warm cool, air, the cool air, air. The cool air caused his skin to prickle. Um, so as opposed to just, well, what is it about the air on his skin that is noteworthy? You know? So focus on that. But at, like, the first stage is stop saying could, because, of course, he could. He's got senses. Um, <laughs> thing is a, is, a, is a real problem um, for young writers. Writers yeah. who, and I don't mean young as an age. I mean as young in craft. Because you can be a young writer at 50. <laughs> if you've never sat down and really invested yourself in your craft, then you're a young writer uh, if you're 50 or 15. 
So it's something people fall into it as a point of habit. It could also be like someone who's sort of feeling their way through the scene or maybe sort of reformed present tense writers. Um, could is something you see a lot in present tense writing. Um, actually, not, not in present tense. In first person writing, for certain, not present tense. Oh, I've got tense and POV screwed up in my head. It's something you see a lot in first person writing. Um, which is weird because that is actually where it jumps out as being really strange. I could see him walk across the room. Bad, well, bad first-person writing is is told in a passive voice, and when people talk about, oh, I hate first-person, it's because they've probably encountered some a, a first-person work written in a passive, boring tone. Yeah, which strips out all the intimacy of first-person. Well, it's also, these statements are also what they call self-reflective. And one of the first rules of writing is avoid self-reflection. Um, the character constantly referring back to their point of view, which is a big problem in first-person writing. It, it, it's pace-killing, for starters, but it's boring. Because, you're, especially in first-person point of view, the POV is is. The whole story is saturated in the point of view, so you don't need to establish the point of view in every sentence. I watch John walk across the room. Well, it's going to do it. It's just John walked across the room, hopefully with purpose. But, you know, worse is when you get reflective, self-reflective and you put a modal verb in. I could see John walk across the room. Is there any reason why you wouldn't be able to see John walk across the room? So it just gets to be kind of... You know, first stage, take out the self, take out the self-reflection, um, and then don't use the modal verb. Could unless you're actually using um, a situation where the reality it kind of defies the probability, and then it's appropriate. Yeah, you know, the thing is, is I've only I only have two first-person projects written in fan fiction, and one's from Sherlock Holmes' point of view, and he's a serial killer, and the other one is Rodney. Um, and I have to tell you that if I had written um, I Spy in third person, not a single person would have found it creepy. If I went through and changed all the I's to he, it wouldn't be creepy to you. Because that per- that that characterization of McKay is literally no different than I've ever written him. Personally, I think that the Sherlock story I wrote, which is It's All Fine, I call it that, is probably the truest to character I've ever written piece of fan fiction. Despite his hobby. <laughs> yeah. How many you got open? 20,000? Uh, um, at least 30 in this window. <laughs> in this window. My tab manager, when it got to be, I used to have 1,800 tabs in my tab manager. I was like, that's ridiculous. (laughs) 
I went through and cleaned out a thousand of them. Now I only have eight hundred in my tab manager. So uh, that's so much more reasonable. It is reasonable. We have, we have different metrics for reasonable. <laughs> part of it, a lot of it, most, a lot of my tabs are about writing research. I mean, I have big groups of tabs that have been saved, like a hundred or more on stories I've worked on. And I just have them sitting there for when I get back to that story. And when I get back to that story, I will reopen that tab group. There's a method to her madness. There is. I hate not being able to find a resource once I've – if I found it Down useful, I hate not being able to find it again. And my bookmarks are insane. I, I used to try bookmarking everything, and I just never could find anything again. Bookmarks are not <laughs> very – I'm a bookmarker. So. I, I bookmark stuff I really want to be able to get to permanently, but, like, my writing reference – my re- reference folder for writing – and then under that, in my bookmarks, um, it's got like I don't know, eighty sub uh, sub folders, and then like just like two or three hundred free for loading links, and I can never find anything ever again. It goes into the writing, it goes into my reference folder, and I am never finding it again, which doesn't make it very useful as a reference source. plotting, I was working on my quantum bang and I um, had this plot point and I was trying to um, I'd look up a whole bunch of different timelines and I had to watch some stuff on YouTube and um, it it's ridiculous but I can't talk about it because I will reveal shit I cannot, I'm not supposed to reveal because it's a secret do you know how hard it is for me to keep a secret <laughs> about writing, <laughs> about stuff I'm writing. <laughs> well, you only have to see fandom stuff until the end of March. <laughs> only, only, yeah. only. That's totally. You don't have to keep it. It's not like you have to keep it till next June. You only have to keep it to March. Although it would be kind of fun to post it under a an anonymous name and see if you guys could figure out. Um, which one was me? <laughs> Obviously, Lady Holmes will probably... participate because <laughs> she'll be my beta. <laughs> but I am curious as well. No, I, I, I was posting anonymously. Now, plenty of people who write on Rough Trade who will probably also migrate into Quantum Bang um, write pl- really good sex. So I'm not sure the sex would 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 be the the telltale heart, so to speak. And they well, it'll be coffin. posted on the Quantum. It'll be posted on the Quantum Bang site. It's not like she'd be hiding it over on Fanfiction.net. Oh, good lord. I'm too dirty for fanfiction.net. 
Also, I don't have the patience for that kind of crowd either. Those little assholes. We do have, interestingly, on Quantum Bang, we do have um, more than one person who signed up to, to, pl- to post anonymously, which I thought was interesting. I actually didn't know. We decided to offer that option because I don't think, I don't think I've ever done a Hina Bang where that's an option is that you can be an anonymous participant. Um, we decided to op- uh, offer it. We thought maybe more than all authors, artists would want to participate anonymously. Um, but the only people we've had sign up to participate anonymously so far have been authors. I think that's really cool. The people are availing themselves of that. So, um, um, I think that's interesting. Clearly, that was a need uh, that was out there that I didn't know that needed to be met. Uh, you can go ahead and submit your application. Your your not it's not it's not an application, but you can submit your sign up anytime you want. Really, and we have had a lot of people do so already. Uh, we just aren't processing any signups until after the first of August because we're busy. Yeah, we're a little busy, a little bit. So my plan after finishing Sense of the Man," which um, is done, was to work on the Quantum Bang for a little while and then give myself a little bit of a break before starting my next best trade. But I couldn't get the story I just finished out of my head, so today I got started on the sequel, which, I mean, is already plotted, <laughs> so it's not like, you know, it's, I don't know that I'll get all the way through it before I'm ready to switch over to, but, I mean, it's, how often do I have a story just already plotted? I mean, I needed, I had to kind of rework the beginning of that story because that is, you know, a little bit different, but um, it was like it was like going, I'm here, you know, do something with me. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Ellie's gonna sleep. You go ahead. You you worked your ass off. Take a take a really good nap. Then you have to and get this up there. This, this is Ellie's first rough trade, and Ellie just went at it like a boss. Banged out her first story. I had been thinking about April's challenge as well. You know, we're doing Not Quite Human, which is a mutant challenge in November. Um, mutant, etc. Uh, but no paranormals. That's on the site already. You can go look at it. It's in the announcement section. And I was thinking about doing a... Um, a long time ago, um, I used to be this writer's group, and we would have these challenges where we would write a thousand words a day. And we had to write a thousand words a day. And um, you would get like uh, three chances. You have like three skip days in the month. Um, But if you missed a fourth day, you were out. It was like kind of like Survivor. (laughs) 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 And so I was thinking that would be interesting to do in April. Um, is to do a thousand words a day challenge. Now, now in this particular group, we went from anywhere from one thousand words a day to five thousand words a day. But I wouldn't try to make that a requirement on rough on rough trade. But I was thinking a thousand words a day might be interesting to see, you know. And you can have three strikes. When we, it'll be April. 
we might do a um um uh a baseball theme. But um yeah. not not the actual baseball, but like like name it after a baseball activity. <laughs> oh, okay. Isn't that why it's called spring training? Oh well yeah, yeah. I had this moment where I was like, is she going to make us do a sports thing? Is she crazy? I don't want to write about sports. <laughs> Go look us on Wikipedia. <laughs> but no, I'm a, you know, but I'm not sure what the theme would be. But um, while you can write more than a thousand words a day, you have to write at least a thousand words a day. And you would have to post every day. Three strikes before you were kicked out. There's your title, Three Strikes and You're Out. <laughs> but it, that's a pretty hardcore challenge, and I've I've shot away from doing stuff like that on Rough Trade. I, sh- I wouldn't do it in November. But, um, but I think that it would be a lot of fun. We, have, we did one sort of like that. It wasn't exactly like that. Um, but there was the one we did in it was it was it was a July though it was um, boot camp, and you we had two signups. That was I think that was when we did the Harry Harry Potter, and where we had to post like a week every day for a week or something like that, or every day for yeah. 10 and then days. we had a, then, an off. Yeah, then there was a break, mm-hmm. and we posted our second project file on the break, and then we because we did one fandom at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just noodling it. I don't know for sure. Um, but uh you know, just try to toss things up and keep things interesting. We'd be done with my quantum bang. And if I'm not, then April's challenge is gonna be super easy. <laughs> <laughs> so as not to stress myself out. Just saying. <laughs> You'll be done. I'm betting you're going to be done before the end of the year. That's just my bet. Private mm. bet. Even with Nano in there. Lady Hill is giving you aspirational goals. <laughs> wow, I see that. Um I was thinking for um, October. Now, currently, I, I do have the word count set at 50. But I think that because we are um, introducing the quantum bang this year and, you know, people are, there'll be some scrambling as people try to figure out what kind of schedule they're going to do. I think that we might offer in November um, to either sign up for a 25K challenge or a 50K challenge based on what you think you can do. No, yeah, Okay. Because that way it would kind of lower the stress on people who who want to participate, but who were also, because that's right after, I mean, that'll be coming up in the middle of the quantum bang writing period. So um, for really for a lot of people who are signing up in August and who haven't really figured out what they're going to write yet um, versus my crazy ass who already has a 15-page plot. <laughs> but it's a good plot. And a hundred pages of notes, and well, yeah, my 
my plot, my digital plot that I wrote out is, is, is about, I think it's about 15 pages. Um, but, uh, yeah, my conservative estimate for my, for my, um, quantum bang is 150 K. But my goal is just 100. So even though the goal for the challenge is just 50, don't get confused. But 50 is really easy for me. <laughs> so, um, well, it's not just that it's easy. It's just sometimes you don't have an idea that are, that's 50K. Um, right. I mean, and also fix it is something that you tend to gravitate to towards bigger themes when you're fixing things. If you're yeah, because there's you're a whole fix. bunch of shit I need to fix because people are stupid. That's right. That's right. That's also stupid to fix. There is so much stupid that needs to be fixed. All the ripples. Um, but yeah, you know, so... Um, <laughs> but speaking of plotting things and thinking, okay, I can do this, this, and this, um, I am like two plot points into my, my plot document and I'm already over word count. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already over my estimate word count. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I've written the prologue and the first chapter and I am already over word count. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually about 4K over word count. So, um, yeah. Update my um, my potato on my site for my word count. But um, I just can't be fussed to do it right now. Anyways. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, Lady Halder. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh. I'm a wordy bitch. I know. I am a wordy, wordy bitch. It could be worse. Well, I'm the soul of brevity, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> you tell your sister that that she can come live at my house when lightning strikes your ass and, t- and sets your shit on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> It was such a lie that the one time I came in under word count, I was so shocked. I didn't even know what to do with myself. Like you're under word count and you're thinking, is my word broken? <laughs> <laughs> you're looking at word count tools on on the internet to check. I think word's broken. But speaking of word, those of you who have an Android device, and I'm not sure if it's on iTunes, you can download the um, Microsoft Office Suite for free. Here's a curiosity. If you open up the app on your phone, you can do speech to text. So nice. you can talk into your phone and it will the punctuation's iffy. But if you go to the you Play to Store say. and look up Microsoft Office, you can download the suite and um like, I had a hard time getting it to open and end quote, but it did a period fine and did a question mark fine. Um, 
but uh, the opening in quotes. But you can do um, speech to text in with your phone. It was really cool. It's not perfect, but if you're if you're driving or whatever and you need to get something out, it's a, it, it's a good way to do it if you don't want to use a, a, a digital voice recorder, which I do that too. So one day I'll I'll get some of those digital voice recordings and and put them on a podcast for you guys to listen to. You can listen to me ramble about crazy ass shit that I that I think I'm gonna write that never do. Well, some ideas that I have that I really like, I just kind of got to get note it down, you know. And then when I go start fleshing it out, I go, that sounds a lot more interesting in my head. <laughs> yeah, Meh. I don't Meh. know if it's on iTunes. Um, I'm an Android user exclusively. Uh, yes, so, Microsoft but, um, Office Suite is on iTunes. So Jilly's saying yes. So you can go to Microsoft Office. Because I have it on all my devices, so yes, it's there. But very handy. I um, I actually used it to do some plotting, and it was really handy while I was driving. If I'm humming, it's because I'm doing something other than paying attention to the podcast. Although I'm sort of paying attention to the podcast, I'm getting a link for Barb. So there. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was just it's a really cool tool. I like to find things that help me, um, you know, do my stuff when I'm on the move or whatever. Uh, I try to avoid plotting in the grocery store because people give me weird looks. I'm not saying I don't do it. I just don't do it often. Sometimes you got to get an idea down. You got to get down when it's there. Because the older you get <laughs> and the more right? medications you take, <laughs> the less you remember. So, like, I'll be in the grocery store and I'll be like, damn it. And I'll go over to the, you know, their little coffee shop Starbucks thing, sit down with my notepad and jot down all this stuff I just kind of popped into my head and then go finish my shopping. My husband will call me, where are you? Um, I'm shopping. Honey, you've been gone for three hours. I had to take a riding break. In the grocery store? Yes. Sort of. I had a coffee, wrote in my notebook, and now I'm getting milk. Did you need something? Besides your wife? <laughs> to come home at a reasonable hour after grocery shopping. <sighs> But putting a Starbucks in Target is the worst thing they could have possibly done. <laughs> That's just an invitation for my butt to sit down and write. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have both the grocery store and the Target I go to have Starbucks in them. And the other grocery store that I have the option of has a really, really nice little cafe where they have the best burgers. So it's just it's just an invitation to stop. <laughs> so we were going to talk about how no, basically it was like no, no, what was, what was your short, short pitch? It kind of cracked me up. 
Um, oh, no plan survives engagement. Um, you guys, I you have to look at that. Wait, where is it? There's the photo. Okay. With the enemy, With the enemy or, enemy or, or your, your keyboard? Keyboard, right? <laughs> um, the short pitches are required. Short summary that I have to put on um, podcasts that nobody sees unless they're on iTunes. Um, so people who download my stuff from iTunes get really snotty, terrible short pitch summaries of my podcast, including well, for, a for a while, while it was. I hate to say they were the really pitch. weird. For a while there, you were you were putting really weird shit in the short pitch because we couldn't figure out where it went, and you thought nobody ever saw it. Yeah, and then someone pointed out to me that they show up on um, iTunes. Somewhere on iTunes, I guess. Yeah, so there is that thing that some people, there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum, like in anything with writing, about how much your story is like the story you intended to tell or how much it's like what you plotted or whatever. Um, there's a spectrum in terms of what the end result, how, how you know, some people – some people get actually really close. I would say they're in the minority of having exactly what they plotted. Um, and it's because and if it, this is if they have a very intricate plot, because if you've got a three word, a three sentence plot and your story came out exactly like your three sentence plot, that's not much of an achievement. actually. <laughs> you know, that's like you could say, um, you know, Tony met Steve, shit happens, they got married. And if it comes out exactly like that, um, well, okay, not, this is not the, the whole no, no story kind of, no plot in, in, um, survives engagement with the keyboard does not apply to you because you didn't actually, you know, that's not really a plot. Um, it's kind of a plot. Um, I don't want um, to say Edie it's asked a plot. It's question. Kind of a plot. Edie yeah. asked a question. Speaking of, is it better for you when we listen to the podcast later for it to be on the Blog Talk or on your website? Um, on Blog Talk, you'll be exposed to um, uh, advertisements that I get pennies for. But those are just like visual advertising. Um, and I get less pennies for them than I do audio advertising, which is embedded into the show. So... It's a toss-up. I get more pennies from the audio. So, yeah, feel free to use the player on my website. I don't care either way. Um, But, um, yeah, if you use a pop-up blocker um, or an ad blocker, then it does mean no good whatsoever for you to go to Blog Talk. Um, You could do it on my site and just listen to the podcast there because – you stop the audio commercials <laughs> with with your ad blocker. I don't think anyway. Yeah, I think if I think if, you're, I think if you're, they're not if you're not if they don't whitelist blog talk, then those ads. I mean, the site knows that, that there's an ad blocker in place, so I can't see why they would pay you for blocked ads. Right. So, 
I meant the audio ads. I don't know if the blocker would block audio ads that are embedded in the so. podcast. So, no, but um, yeah. I've listened to I've listened to I've listened to stuff with an ad blocker up, and then I still got the audio ads. But anyway, so the more the the more detailed your plot, the less likely I would say um, that it's going everything's going to go exactly the way you expect. Um, and if it does go exactly the way you expect when you write, I'm thrilled for you. Um, but I think that's not most people's experience. It's certainly not mine. Um, most people's experience is that there's things they didn't account for or that it, sometimes it's just that they get there and they go, there's a better way to, there's a better path to where I wanted to go, a shorter path, a more interesting path, whatever. Because if, if the writing itself didn't reveal something, then there really wouldn't be a point in the writing, I don't think. I mean, if it, it's just there's something that happens when you really get in and tell the story that, that changes things. Um, and I think it's good to let that transformation happen and to let the story kind of... Now, there's a little bit of a difference between kind of letting the story, let let it happen and let the story breathe in a way and make adjustments where you need to versus just adding in random stuff because it seems like a good idea without putting any thought into what you're doing. Um, mind your ripples. Mind your ripples because that, that, that's the panther's trap is just putting in stuff. <laughs> Speaking and of then ripples. Having to sort it, and then starting to have to having to sort out what it's a, what its purpose was, what the consequences are of that and what the, where it's going. Earlier I had made a decision about um, gravity. That's my current story on rough trade that I'm writing. And I said that um, uh, I wanted that Zier to give Harry a gift. And I thought that he could give Hedwig back to him. And we were discussing what kind of form Hedwig would take. And you'll have to, read it to find out. I'm not going to tell you, but it's really cool. Um, and at one point we thought he would just bring her back as her, in her original form because as an owl, she was perfectly wonderful. But then people might accuse Harry of using dark magic to resurrect his owl. <laughs> That's yep. a reasonable ripple. That would be a very reasonable mm-hmm. ripple. Harry, how'd you get your owl back? <laughs> Dude. We need to have a talk about your zombie owl. <laughs> it's a very realistic. So, like, no, hey, we cannot come back as an owl because that's just um, I, that's a that's a ripple that I don't want to address, but also one I feel like I could not address. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, yes, I could ignore it, but I wouldn't. Yeah, you just you'd have to have Zier show up or something, and that would be words, more words than just having her have another form. And as soon as she, as soon as Kira said it. Um, she said, as soon as she said it, because we were talking about, you know, the virtue of her coming back as an owl. Um, and, you know, my role in this is bounce buddy, which was to give the pros of, you know, basically I was just giving the pros of every possibility that we came up with. <laughs> I wasn't really giving any cons. And so we were talking about the pros of the owl thing. And all of a sudden Kira said, you know, that people are going to accuse me of using dark magic. And I went, Oh, and it's just, it, it wasn't even, I had nothing to counter that with because it was immediately apparent to me that that is such a big ripple that it would have to be addressed. 
and you can't ignore it. So it's either accept the accusation and make that have that difficulty for him or deal with how he's going to get around the accusation of dark magic. And those are words, which are, you know, complications you don't want to give yourself in any kind of short format. This is especially important to me at this point because I've um, already realized that I've actually stumbled across a, I have written several Harry Potter Sentinel stories that I felt like there was no potential for a sequel. I felt like I was done with it and, and I walked away. But this one, but there's going to be a sequel. So I don't want to build in a complication like that. Yeah. So there's no need to borrow my own trouble, so to speak, you know. And, yeah, I mean, you give your your character angsty shit to get over, but... That wouldn't be much of a gift, would it? <laughs> oh, here, have your owl back. Now everybody in the country is going to think you're a dark wizard because you resurrected your own owl. <laughs> I mean, not unless Zir wants to show up every time Harry's accused of being a dark wizard. And, you know, depending upon your politics around Zir, that might not even help. So, um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's already got enough issues. You don't need to add to it by a little owl necromancy. <laughs> Did you make your owl an inferi of sorts? How creepy. <laughs> so there won't be any head of zombie owl. <sighs> Which has potential to be hilarious, but it's more trouble than it's worth. So, But if you're going to make her a zombie owl, go all in and make her a zombie owl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything, every time you sit down to write, every single story I've ever written, there has been something that has changed, something that I didn't account for, minor plot hole. There's something. There's something unexpected. And if you go into the writing process thinking that there's not going to be something unexpected, you're setting yourself up to be unhappy. So you just have to plan. It creates failure. Um, Yeah. If you don't give yourself wiggle room in your in your uh, in your work, and I learned this the hard way because I didn't always give myself wiggle worm, wiggle bleh, worm, wiggle room. Wiggle worm. I didn't yeah, sure. I didn't give myself <laughs> room wiggle. to to move and grow as as store. I didn't give the story room either, and it would create extremely frustrating situations for myself. So, um, learning to let go of my plan. And exploring a little was one of my biggest stumbling blocks as a writer. It's, and it's OCD related. I mean, I'd be the first one to admit that. Um, I don't discuss my obsessive compulsive disorder much. Um, not because I'm embarrassed by it, but because I have better things to talk about. Um, but when you deal with OCD um, in the fashion that I do, uh, in the, in the, with the quirks that I have, um, it was a huge stumbling block for me. And that I went several years without writing. I tried. Actually, if you're too rigid in your thinking, you can actually then get married to plot holes. <laughs> yeah, I have babies to, with it. And... Don't get married to plot holes because you got to give yourself room to fix stuff. Um, 
you also kind of have to give yourself room to tell yourself no. Just because it seems like a good idea doesn't necessarily mean that it is. So, no, you, know, you cannot always, give Hedwig laser beams. She can't breathe fire. You know, it's just, although, although it's, it was very cracked. We did talk about breathing fire. Um, you got to, you know, if you've got, if you, if you are too, I mean, we've talked about balance. We've talked about, you know, trying to give whatever, whatever balance is for you. Cause balance doesn't look the same for every writer. But if you give yourself too much wiggle room or too much rigidity, um, you can set yourself up to be unhappy. So for, for, you know, it's good to go in with a plan and then it's good to give yourself room to let the plan adapt to what, where the story is actually going. Um, but again, this is a case of, you know, wiggle room does not mean free for all. That does not mean, you know, um, you get started on your Harry Potter short story and you start throwing in every, you know, Harry Potter trope, pulling it in and throwing it in. No, man, it's just not going to help you. So you have to kind of avoid creating problems for yourself. Yeah. And if if you putting random stuff into your story winds up creating more work for you later, then, I mean, that should be an object lesson, right? So, if you put stuff I in... I think a lot of people, when cre- they encounter that, they stop writing. Yeah. That's why you have all these works that get abandoned. Well, and sometimes that's a case of where, uh, like, a reader suggested something and the author thought it sounded cool, and then they put it in and it contradicts, like, six things that they've already written, and then they've backed themselves into a corner. So, yeah. Um, Please don't write by committee. Yeah. If you're really struggling for what to do next with your story, well, I actually, I don't know what to do with that because if you don't know what your end game is, I don't know how you start. But anyway, um, if but that's the plotter if struggling, in struggling, yeah. If I've pants stuff, but I still understood that in general where I was going. I mean, I just don't know how yeah. I can even get very. I don't, I just I'm not the sort who gets on the road and just. I don't know, rolls the dice to determine which way I'm headed. It just doesn't work for me. Um, so I mean, my mother and my sister have done that. They've gotten in the car. I, mean, I kid you not. They've gotten in the car and left it at a chance which direction they were going to go. And they had no idea where they were going to be staying that night. And they've I had nice find that in a hotel and stuff in the car. Deeply uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. I can't deal with it. No, I can't deal with that. <laughs> if I'm going to go on a road trip, I need to know exactly where I'm staying. Every fucking night of the road trip. I can't just, you know, roll the dice and pick, let, it, let it decide that day's direction. And then if we don't find a hotel room, oh, well, we'll sleep in the car at a rest stop. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me um, I've, for a lot of reasons, <laughs> not just because of my OCD, but because I've seen too many episodes of Criminal Minds. Um, <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. That's not safe. <laughs> You're going to end up on an episode of Investigation Discovery. <laughs> Um, so, it, it, so I don't, I can 
sit down with a blank document, and I have. I have sat down. I've gotten an idea in my head. And as I am writing the first, you know, I sit down to make some notes, and then the story just starts coming out. And as I'm writing that first 100, 200 words, I'm, in the back of my mind, I'm figuring out exactly where this is going. Um, it doesn't matter how long it is. If it's 200,000 words or 5,000 words, I'm figuring out where it's going. Because otherwise I don't know how to keep writing what I'm working on. So the pure panther mentality, if I'm just going to write a, a, a I've, even when I pant stuff, I've never been a pure panther who sits down and has no idea where a story's going. I just have an idea for a scene. It, does, it, does, it doesn't gel with my head. So I don't know how to even advise somebody who's doing that. Um, no, it, it, it's, it's deeply uncomfortable. But I have actually, I have given it, tried to give advice to people, panthers before. Is if you if you're a panther who manages to finish their stories, then you don't need my advice. But if you struggle with finishing your stories, or you struggle with stumbling into plot holes you don't know what to do with, a lot of that is you've got to figure out how to give yourself some limits. And maybe you pants the fuck out of shit, but you have to be able to figure out key milestones. Um, And, I mean, it's just it's difficult to help somebody who's a, a pantser who wants to be able to finish their stories. I mean, and I hear this from people who are, who, who are pantsers, is they want to be able to finish their stories, and they don't want so many complications, but they also don't want to rein themselves in. That is a lose-lose proposition right there. There's no way to advise somebody about how to solve the problem associated with a method of writing when they don't want to rein in any portion of, they don't want to apply any limits to their process. Um, I mean, because plotters have to go the other way. If they don't want their work to feel, if you really are a really detailed plotter, if you don't want your work to feel rigid and stiff, you have to give yourself room to relax and, and let things evolve or let a conversation meander a little bit or whatever it is, you know, you have to just growing sometimes is uncomfortable. There's a reason why they're called growing pains. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if you don't know what your ending is, you're never going to know when you get there. Yeah. And maybe that's how we get 500,000 word epics, which are yeah. not necessarily bad. I mean, I've enjoyed my share. <laughs> I I have, I, but I have never read a 500,000 word epic where I didn't see multiple stories in it. Um, right. I mean, and yes, ultimately it's up to the author who's writing the story to determine where the end is. But when you see a story, you see traditional story mechanics where there is rising action and a climax and then falling action, and then the action starts to rise again. They're, they're, they're instinct, instinctively put it, actually it's more of instinctual, they're instinctually putting in, um, they're instinctually putting in story mechanics. They just don't know that they've ended their story. So, yes, in, in, in one sense, it's completely up to the author where the story ends. In another sense, from a story mechanics point of view, they've written like five novels and just called it one because one of the problems panthers have 
is that they tend to have a lot more loose ends than plotters do because, because plotters know which ends need to be tied up and which loose ends need to be folded back, need to, need to be, um, don't need to be tied up. Because not every loose end needs to be tied up. Um, so plotters tend to know which pieces need to be followed more tightly and woven back in before the end of the story. And panthers a lot of times feel like there's all of this stuff that's dangling out there. And so they just keep adding on plot points to deal with loose ends. And then their story just keeps going on and on and on. Because when you add plot points to deal with loose ends, you create new loose ends. That's just the way that goes. It's a never-ending cycle. We call it and then. But there really honestly is nothing wrong with being a pantser. It's nope. it, it becomes an issue of mental organization. If, if that's how you write, that's how you write. Be the writer you are. You do you. But um, if you want to grow and change and find your ending, it's important to read your work, understand the mechanics, and know where you're going. As much as you possibly can within your process. And if you're a pantser who has no problem getting you an ending, then this advice really is not for you because you already know how to get there. But there are yeah. a lot of people who and don't. There are there are pantsers who do that. Um, that they can sit down with a blank page and have no idea what they're writing. It all unfolds in their head as they're writing. They're concise. They, um, I've read the occasional pantser who actually is very concise. They don't meander. They get right to the – they. They have it's just it's just such an instinctual process, and I would say that typically, my guess is that those people are diehard readers because they have absorbed story mechanics to such a degree that it just it's they don't need to they don't really need to understand it they just do it they're basically have learned it by osmosis and they're they have absorbed um craft and then they just they just bang it out and you wouldn't know that they were pantsers and if that's you good on you you don't need advice about how not to pants because why would you why would you stop doing what's working great for you it's when it's not working for you that is when you have to start looking at strategies and it's not the strategy is not don't pants but most writing sites will advise that if you're a pantser and you're having a hard time that you need to develop a hybrid method that allows you the room to be a pantser and be kind of organically creative the way pantsers are, but give yourself some structure so that you can avoid. And the structure needs to be around the areas where you have problems. If you don't have a problem with characterization, doing character bios, big, long, detailed character bios, may not be the solution to your plot-hole pantsing problems. So, I mean, your, your strategies the areas where you give yourself structure need to be specifically targeted to the things that are a problem in your story. A lot of times, the thing is, you talk about, you know, osmosis and, and learning, and that's why reading is super important. Reading the works of others, reading your peers, reading different genres, um, all of this is really important to your craft. Um, reading yourself, um, rec- recognizing your faults, recognizing where you're really good so you can hone that to be better. Um, a lot of times it's difficult to articulate 
I've been writing for so long that I do things that, like, for instance, foreshadowing, I do it a lot, but it's never planned. I never plan a foreshadowing in my plot. But I foreshadow the fuck out of shit, and it just it just comes out in my writing. I never plot dialogue. I plot events. If you look yeah. at my storyboard for any particular story, it's usually just a list of events. Yeah. I, I'm i a vet-driven plotter, too, even though I'm a character-driven writer. But the only time I plot dialogue is sometimes in an event where I know a scene's going to be. I'll put a note like that I want this specific thing said in that scene. And often yeah, that, I that usually, that, usually that comes about because like that line is in my head and I want to be sure that, it, you know, I don't forget it and my memory is crap. So um, that's where I do that. But I do tend to write an event plot and sometimes I will, you know, stick uh, uh, internal motivations in it. But mostly um, I don't layer. I don't layer. And when I do layer, it's because I have something really, really important in the theme that I want to explore and I want to make sure it is everywhere. That it kind of like really resonates throughout the whole story. But for the most part, um, my plots are events these days. Now I've, I'm very good at the layer method, you know, doing my event plot and then laying internal motivations on top of it or kind of inserting it into it. If you're using a word document. Um, but, um, it's a very comfortable process for me, but it isn't something that I need. When I was younger, I needed it. So when we do these podcasts talking about do this and do this, and this works really great for me, um, it's about the big process, not what we do every day, not our, our actual work process. Because as you get older, as you mature in your craft, you don't need these things as much as you did when you were just getting started as a writer. Yeah, but the first time I wrote something, I didn't start to think about any of this stuff. I just sat down and started writing a story. Um, and it, some of the stuff I started doing, a lot of the around, a lot of what my how my process evolved was around avoiding pitfalls that I had fallen into in something prior. Like, oh well, you know, if I had planned that better, it wouldn't have happened. Let's not make that mistake again. And so, um, which is a lot of times why when people try to pick up somebody else's method, even a method that people ascribe before in books or, you know, professional, you know, writing class or whatever has taught is teaching, it doesn't work real well for them because most people's process is based on experience. That's why they're all so different. It's experiential based upon the way we write, based upon the kind of problems we run into. Um, People have a really hard time keeping character traits straight, like um, keeping characterization um, focused and tight is difficult for some people. And so they need, like, to have their character bios be really intricate and printed out and have cheat sheets and stuff so that they can not have the characters bleeding. 
together. And some people don't have a problem with that. So having a lot of intricate character work um, in their preparation phase isn't necessary for them. So nobody else's process is going to fit you exactly right. You're going to build a process based upon what what hasn't – actually, a lot of times it's based on what hasn't worked for you in the past or where you've had problems. I mean, that's we're experiential learners. We, we make a mistake. We figure out how not to make that mistake again. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe. I, you know, um, I know that we talk about a lot about plotting on this podcast, and it's because I am a plotter, and that's just my process. And um, while I can pants, um, and I have, I mean, there are examples on my site, it isn't my natural process, but my natural process um, took about 15 years to, to get to a place where I'm really comfortable in my process. Um, and it's not anybody else's process but mine. I've, I've picked up this from this person and this from this book. And, you know, I don't plot by scene often, but when I do, I have a certain method for doing it. Um, I don't um, – I rarely do character bios unless they're original characters. And it's a new original character, which is why you'll often see me using – original characters over and over again in my fan fiction so I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Why would I make a new wizard when I already have Zale? <laughs> right. <laughs> really, really, why would you make a new wizard when you have Zale? <laughs> right? Why would I make a new god of sorcery when I have Zir? <laughs> I've already done that work. <laughs> You know, um, that's why I end up using OCs a lot over and over again in fan fiction because it's just easier. Um, I, already, I already know them. I, I know their quirks. I, I know how they move, how they walk, how they smell, what, what they like to wear. Um, just, you know, what they had for breakfast. I know all that stuff. It, 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 it's there because I've, I've already connected with them and there's no point in making a new one. Unless I need a new one that they're out of character that doesn't fit a particular role. Like in Darkly Lowell, um, you see a fuller picture of Quentin Deadmarsh than you did in, um, than, than you ever will see of him in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. Because in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, Quentin is a member of um, Harry's conclave, but he's not um, – Harry's relationship with him is a little anti- antagonistic because he's a necromancer. And Harry in that particular fic is horrifically opposed to necromancy um, because it reminds him of Voldemort. And so – and that was a choice I made. But in Darkly Loyal, Harry has embraced his role as the master of death. And so I was thinking about which character of which original character I would put in Hogwarts as a foil for Harry. And also to kind of insert personal magic into the story. And I could have chosen Thaddeus Banner um, or Zale. And I thought, you know what? No, let's do Quentin because he's a little dark and a little mean and he doesn't care if anybody knows. So when you have a whole cast of original characters that you've, that you've used in a, 
um, in a fandom. It's it's really fun to see how. Well, what happens if I stick Zale here? Because if I'd have stuck Zale in that place and broke the wall, it would have been a vastly different conversation. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, so you know, putting Quentin there was a was a was an active choice. It was a choice I made um, to fit the theme well, right, of the story. Quentin was a in a, in his way. He was a, this is at least why I read it. It's like a stabilizing force. Zale would have been like an accelerant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zale's the one who doused um, Azkaban and dragon's blood, right? Yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? <laughs> he certainly yeah. is. Yeah, he certainly is. That happens in the unspeakable plot, which is where Zale first appears. Oh, that's in the unspeakable plot. Um, uh, but yeah, he um, he, he made a mystery. My head is, this is not the guy who's going to settle a situation down. You know. No, he was ordered to get Dumbledore's attention, and that is exactly what he did. Just saying. He did as instructed. <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, when you create a whole bunch of characters like that that I have in Harry Potter for various reasons, um, you can can move them around. And putting one character in that role um, does one thing to your story, and putting another character in that position does does something entirely different. Because if Thaddeus Banner had been put in that spot, he'd have been a real party pooper. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> He's a Thaddeus is a very rigid, um very rigid, honorable light wizard. And um he he would not want anything to do with the Harry Potter and Darkly Loyal. So knowing your characters um like that is important. Because it can shape your narrative, for good or bad. And sometimes, sometimes you put—I mean, sometimes your characters are serving a purpose, so you got to be careful you pick the right one. And sometimes your character is just—well, um, it could be their purpose is color commentary, right? I mean, if you have a character that's particularly witty, or you know that you need that is always that is always never takes anything seriously or is very sassy, right? And that's a good character to put into a story where you've got um, um, a lot of angst, you know, or a lot of very serious situations because they can break up the tension. Also, that's the only way I can deal with high angst stories if there's a break in the tension. Because if it just Which goes on Francis and on and on. In Darkly Lowell. Um, Francis is the comic relief in, in Darkly Lowell. Yeah, well, she she's she's kind of like um, to me she's all she's not just like comic relief. She's like, um, because Dobby and and Winky are funny too, but they're funny <laughs> in a dark humor kind of way. Yeah, Whereas Francis is kind of like, you know, there's like this 
sassy innocence about her, which usually you don't get together at the same time. So she's kind of like like the opposite of the kind of humor you have with Dobby and Winky. Yeah, because so. she's not sacrificing anybody in a volcano yet. Right. <laughs> yet. But she's not above it. She just hasn't got there yet. I'm just kidding. Um, someone asked me why I didn't use Astoria in Darkly Loyal. Um, and it's because Astoria, in my head, in my head, in, in my head canon, Astoria Greengrass is the reincarnation of Harry's little sister who died in the womb with Lily. Um, and so I was like, that really didn't fit my plot for Darkly Loyal. To, to have that element. So I didn't want to use Astoria because of my headcanon. And sometimes your headcanon can the fuck issue you up. Headcanon <laughs> can fuck you up. Um, but there's also the issue of... the woman of, um, who gave me a terrible headcanon that ruined many a story for me. Well, I didn't know that that, that pairing that is ruined for us was going to take off after I wrote. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying there's a connection. I'm just saying that there weren't, wasn't a lot of Tony John Shepard stories no. out there. It didn't exist. Okay. Well, they might've been one or two, like, but now there's a bunch. Okay. And if it had been a big pairing and I was aware of it and reading it, I would never have made them related. <laughs> it's I'm like, just saying, get your right? hands off your brother, John. How dare you, you creepy bastard. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but also, you know, you have you have a logistical issue with Astoria that you don't have with Francis. Is that Astoria is in Slytherin? Yeah. Um, they wouldn't be with her all the time, and and Hermione couldn't directly mentor her. It would be met with a lot of suspicion. But yeah, Francis makes me laugh. I I have to have when I when I write something you know a little dark. I I need moments. For myself, that are that are good and sweet, and and Francis fills that need, and she doesn't take anything yeah. from Death Eaters either. <laughs> and for me, when there's angst, I need humor. I mean, that's but that's that's partly my family's coping mechanism, right? I mean, there have been many a terrible tragedy in our family where we have wound up in hysterics at the end of the day, and I mean humor hysterics, not crying hysterics, because that's the way we deal with shit. You know, we've just been evacuated from a flood. The tornado has just blown down half the house. What are we doing? We're out there in the backyard laughing because that's how we cope. Someone says something completely inappropriate, and we all lose it. And usually yeah. that's it. It's, it says Me and all my cousins busted out. Me and all my cousins busted out laughing at a funeral once. Because my it's cousin terrible. didn't want to eat before we went to the funeral. She said she wasn't hungry. We get halfway through the funeral... And this hussy's stomach starts growling. And she's in the middle of us. And, we're, and we keep looking at her. <laughs> and she's trying to act like it's not her. But she's the only one that didn't eat. And oh my God. I hurt myself. I hurt myself trying not to laugh. And then we all busted out laughing. And it, it was it was terrible. It was terrible. But my uncle, who we buried, would have laughed too. So, <laughs> it was terrible. 
My aunt brings it up. Remember when you all laughed at Uncle So-and-So's funeral? Oh, my God. Yes, we remember. I'm sure he found it really hilarious. Because that's just what I mean, and not everybody. I will say that when you do that, there's a, there's a chance you're going to get some people who are unhappy with you because of your inappropriate humor in the face of um, terrible circumstances. But um, just whatever. That's like that line in Invisible Repercussions at the end, where um, Rodney joins John on the dock, and he's like. Um, or we could be, we could be watching a movie in, in your. We're, 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 he says we're, we're, we're currently doing something in your quarters, and John says, or we could be fucking. And Ronnie says, yeah, we could be doing that. <laughs> we could be doing that. Se- more pe- several people told me that sex joke was inappropriate after John committed cold blooded murder, but I don't agree. <laughs> it amused me. But then also there was somebody um, who emailed me and told me if I really thought that was the solution um, to dealing with someone who did what, and I don't want to trigger anybody, but John punished somebody for doing something pretty horrific and they, and they weren't going to get punished for it. So he killed them. And I was like, yep. That's exactly what they deserve. People just need a good killing. Uh, You know. Because some people need it. They do. They need it desperately. Just saying. Besides, those sharks were hungry. I maybe didn't eat enough of that spaghetti. <laughs> but um, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. But yeah, sometimes your readers are not going to be happy with your decisions, whatever they may be. You know, I don't like your POV. I don't like your um, pairing. I don't like your plot. Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Why is there politics and ties at Biden? Why didn't you warn for it? I really need you to start marking off your rimming scenes because I don't like to read rimming and. I need you to know, fuck you. <laughs> but yes, I did ask someone. So someone did email me and tell me I needed to like um, mark off rimming scenes, like insert like incoming rimming. 
and mark it off so she could skip it. I did not do that. Yeah, apparently I should have worn for politics in um, Ties That Bind. I, I just find that to be so bizarre. I mean, what the hell? Well, I do find politics offensive. I don't think you need to warn for it. Holy shit. What? My blood sugar is 172. Dude. I know. I know. That was a spaghetti, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I didn't like some pasta to send your blood sugar just through the roof. <sighs> I guess I'll be drinking a whole lot of water. <sighs> No, I made my own sauce. Because sometimes jarred sauce can be kind of sweet. I don't like it. Yeah. Well, sugar reduces the acidity in tomatoes, so a little bit of sugar is good, usually, to keep from having heartburn for, like, days and days on end. Um, But a lot of jarred sauces go way too far with the sugar. I agree. I do like Paul Newman's brand. Very nice. Oh, isn't that lovely? Yeah. It is. I I really like Paul Newman's um, spaghetti sauce. If if I'm going to make my own, I buy Paul Newman because it's awesome. I like their dressings, too. And their popcorn. And they make a very lovely iced tea, you know, iced tea bags. Um, It's organic um, fair trade tea. Um. I saw it on Amazon, six, it's like six boxes with like 22 bags. It's iced tea bag size for, you know, for making a quart of iced tea. It's great. I highly recommend their iced tea bags. <laughs> After you were so terrible, I'm still not putting oh, swimming warnings on my fic, but that's hilarious. Well, you know, and the thing is, you can see pressure from readers affecting authors in weird ways when you're reading, like people, you know, bracketing off certain activities, like if you don't want to read the Remy scene, you know, skip the stuff that's framed with, you know, three pound signs. It's like who asked for this? I'm not I, I just not impressed with these shenanigans. They're not even fun shenanigans. They're terrible shenanigans. If I'm gonna be involved in shenanigans shenanigans, they better be fucking great. We're talking roller coaster shenanigans or I don't wanna be in it. I have plenty of shenanigans already. I don't need more. But, um, <clears throat> every time I look over at the chat room, I see tongue and ass. <laughs> it just it totally derails me. <laughs> Someone say something. <laughs> I'm going to put that on my, um, 
on my wish list. <clears throat> if you drink a lot yeah, of tea, so- I really highly, I really highly recommend, folks, that you do, especially if you drink a lot, do go with an organic tea, just because some teas have been found at. at the government doesn't, there's no FDA regulation about how much pesticide can be in teas. And some teas will have, they did that, this, there was this article a couple of years ago about some common tea brands tested have like 20 strains of pesticide found, 20 types of pesticides found in them um, at dangerous levels. Um, so, and because there's no regulation, it doesn't have to be disclosed to you that you're drinking toxic tea. And some of it's fine, you never know. Um, something that has very low levels of pesticides, but all tea has, unless it's organic, all tea has pesticides in it. And some of them have obscene amounts of test pesticides. So if you drink a lot of tea, like I drink like a gallon of tea a day, that's why I use organic tea because that's a lot of poison to be drinking. Well, now that's, that's, that's not less distracting, Lady Holder. It's not less distracting. Yeah, I had, to, I had to take it off the screen because otherwise I would just be staring at it for the next half hour. We're not going to get anything else done. I, drink a, I, I drink about a gallon a day. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I find Lipton to be very bitter, so I don't drink that. I wouldn't be surprised to find out it's loaded with <laughs> pesticides. Chalk full of pesticides. Okay, so Ow Okay It's just I'm I'm moved and I just gave myself A really bad muscle spasm Ouch, okay Hmm. I may have to stand up That's that's what happens with age Yes, you get get older And the things you don't want to be tight are and the things you want to be tight are not flip <laughs> flopping around. <laughs> Put that one up now. <laughs> it is my favorite. I was, just, I was just thinking about that one. Um I should have labeled it my own bookmarks as Kira's favorite because then I'd be able to find it again. Um <laughs> But as it is, I labeled it something else, and it's you know, and considering the number of porn gifts I have bookmarked, I will never find it. Yeah, see, that is just banging. Pun He's intended. His back into it, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it is my favorite. <laughs> I found it in my own bookmarks. I I called it best ride of his life. So 
it only took it only took me like fifteen attempts to find it though. So I should have just called it Kira's favorite. Now's your opportunity to relabel it. There you go. I think everybody should have their favorite porn gift. I mean, yes, yes, you should. (laughs) You're on the internet. What's your favorite porn gift? What do you mean you don't have a (laughs) favorite? And if you have somebody who doesn't have a favorite porn gift, you need to get them out of your life. You don't need that kind of negativity. That's just toxic. (laughs) That is toxic. My favorite is a pegging gift, but I... It's another one that I have labeled poorly. I have labeled poorly. I have named poorly. (laughs) You have chosen poorly. Maybe I put it under. (laughs) Yeah, we've had that discussion before about how that kind of looks like. Yeah, who that looks like. But let's not talk about that on the podcast because that could have ramifications. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm going to fail the challenge this month. Failure. I'm kind of, because I kind of, the I feel like my next story, um, I feel like I could, could keep it. Because the next story is, it's not really building to anything. I'm not like laying groundwork for something else. And there's no... There's no compl- there's no world building elements that are unique to the next story. It's just, you know, it's a straight romance, and um, because of the way, I'm the, it, there's some scenes I could cut out to to keyboard countdown, but I feel like that that they're really part of building the intimacy of the story. So I'm kind of like debating with myself about do I let the intimacy and the romance and the relationship build in a way that feels true to the story and true to the dynamic I'm trying to build, or do I cut those scenes and keep it under word count? So, and I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm I'm, I'm favoring, right now I'm favoring not cutting them because I don't usually write stories like that. And so the idea of not really building intimacy um, well and building the relationship and letting that evolution happen kind of how it needs to happen feels a little stifling, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I think it's important to be comfortable with your own writing, um, with your own process. If you're doing something that makes you uncomfortable, then you're doing something that isn't natural for you, and you need to reevaluate. Um, and you can't force yourself to be a plotter successfully. Um, just like you can't force yourself to be a pantser successfully. Um, so it's important to be true to the writer you already are as you as you write and explore 
Because otherwise, you're just going to start hating your own shit. Because I have a story that I, I read my own work a lot, but I have one book that I wrote um, that I have never read after editing. Because I hate it. Is that the one that you had to kind of, had to get in? Yeah. You talked about that you, you didn't have really, you know. Yeah. And I hate it. It's a pro pick, yes. And I will never read it again. <laughs> I, will, I will never know. It's just, it's, um, I loathe it. I and, and, it, and it's a terrible place to be in when you hate your own work. Um. So don't do things in your plot or in your story that don't feel natural because you'll end up hating your own words. And that's, you know, even things that I can look at now objectively and say, oh, this kind of sucks, actually. I should have done this, this, and this, and this, and I wish I'd done this. Isn't the same thing as, oh, my God, I hate these. I want to set this book on fire. There is a distinct difference. Yeah. And when you want to burn your own work. Um, the only things I think I've ever written that I hated were some things I did. I can't exactly say on, on commission because I wasn't getting paid for it, but we did do, it was like a charity exchange thing um, where I signed up to be a writer in a charity exchange thing where people would donate, were donating to um, um, some natural disaster relief. And if they did, they would get a short story in exchange for it. Um, I don't actually, wouldn't actually do anything like that now. Um, I've, kind of don't think it's a good idea to actually write fan fiction in exchange for any kind of monetary compensation for anyone. Um, But at the time, when I did that, it seemed like it was acceptable because I wasn't getting the money. But now, now, especially now, especially now where I see people actually putting up commission schedules about how much they charge, like, per thousand words to write fan fiction for you – I think it's more and more important that we um, are careful about the boundaries of fan fiction and profitability and that kind of thing, which is that it can't be. You know, nobody is allowed to make money on um, those recognize, on, on the recognizable characters and plots and stuff except the people who own the copyright. So um, I think it's even a little squishy to have charities making money on it, which is why I would never do anything like that now. But um, there were a couple of stories that, you know, and I thought that people were going to be asking for reasonable things, and people sometimes ask for some very unreasonable things, and I wound up writing a couple of things that I absolutely could not stand, but that I felt like I had signed up for this stupid thing, and I was stuck. Um, and those I'd never reread. I wish they, you know, were obliterated off the face of the earth. Um I think it's a good time to point out is that if you participate in something like this, which we don't approve of, um, to set hard limits on what you will and will not write. And make sure those limits are available to the people who are participating. Yeah. Yeah. It's important uh, no what you're doing that you're you have limits. It's like if you're participating in like a secret Santa kind of thing. Um, just because somebody asks for something doesn't mean you have to write it. 
Yeah, because, you know, there are people in fandom that would ask you for shit that they have no business asking anybody for. You know what I'm talking about. Although somebody asked me for that, I'd probably cuss them out. So I'd get kicked out of the thing anyway. (laughs) That'd be that. Of my current stuff that I have posted, I think I, I, I think there's some stuff I don't reread very often. I think there's maybe only one story that I've only reread one time. Because um, I do think it's good for you to go back and look at your own work and look at how you've evolved. And um, there's there's a couple of my stories that I read a ridiculous amount. <laughs> it's probably embarrassing to admit how much I reread a couple of my stories, especially the story I reread of mine the most is if found. I've, I've probably reread that. I don't know, 30 times at least since I wrote it. That's a story it's on. I have that on all my devices, you know, and I just sometimes when I just am not trying anything that is making me happy, that's the story. That's my go-to feel good story that I go to reread. Um, one of the reasons why Ties That Bind is on my site is that I had written it. It was one big document that um, I had. I reread it maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 times. And I thought, you know, maybe somebody else might like this. And so I should put it up on my site. <laughs> but I had it for about a year before a single bit of it appeared online. Because <laughs> so, I wrote it for me. Yeah. I couldn't find my favorite See, they're distracting me so I couldn't find my favorite porn guest I was just sure one of my favorites is not the favorite but I can't find the favorite no it's a video wrong thing I mean image image insert, insert guesses images right yeah I've seen this one before. Mm-hmm. I've probably shared it before. <laughs> why not share? Why not share fun things? I read. I read it found last week. As a matter of fact. can make you feel good. <laughs> it's nice when good things happen to, to people who deserve them. That's right. A lot of times I go read it when I've read a story where somebody has treated Tony really badly. <laughs> I'm like, that <laughs> the is palate no way cleanser. to a unicorn. Yeah. It's like, that is How no way you? to treat a unicorn. What are you doing? But Rough Trade is going really well. We've had a lot of posts. Yeah, we're at... I just did the word count, and it's already fallen out of my head. Um, 317,000? Yeah, That's great. So we're at 14% of the minimum word count for the month. <clears throat> That's a way to break a dick. 
That's how you. The, that's how I did gets broken. I'm just saying. And that is the position actually in which most um, penile fractures happen. I don't even have a dick. My theoretical dick is really uncomfortable right now. (laughs) (laughs) But we've had, um, and we do have a lot of project files. So that's part of the reason why there's been, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories to be written. Um, but we've had um, we've already had 140 posts. Yeah, and it hasn't even been a week yet. People are on their game, and I really appreciate it when you sign up and you try. I I really appreciate the trying. I um I'm never going to berate you for not succeeding. Um or not getting there, but I super appreciate you getting on the site and trying and posting because um, it's a lot of work to put together. So I um, just, you know, just thank you. It, it's awesome. I, I really appreciate that. I have not had a lot of time to dig in and read. There's several um, of my um, fandoms I don't read in very much that are rep- that I read that I that there's not a lot of fiction about them that's written on a they're not small fandoms in general, but they're kind of small fandoms in terms of the amount that's generated now. They're kind of older fandoms um, mm-hmm. that there have been project files submitted, so I'm looking forward to getting to see. Um, Someone signed up to do Psych, which was a fandom I used to read a lot in. So it was very exciting to get to see a Sentinel story in Psych. So I have like a little list of, of stories I want to get around to reading. So I'm really looking forward to getting to dig in. And of course, since I finished writing um, the first story, I have a little bit more time to read. Excellent humble brag. Out. Yeah, but also since I don't want to get out of the habit. I did have the problem of I've been sleeping really shitty um, for about couple weeks it's not just not getting enough sleep it's also sleep poor, poor sleep quality when I am asleep um and one of the reasons why I know this is because I keep sleep texting myself um wake up in the morning with messages from myself going I have no idea what that means um so I've been writing really tired and that's, that's not usually a problem for me because um I I can't. Probably most of my writing is done tired, but it's kind of gotten to the extremes in this this past week where I am just completely exhausted while I'm writing. And one night I posted, and it was done. The post was done, and I could not remember a single thing I had written in that post. And it was like three thousand words. I could remember none of it. I was like, "What did I just post? What happened? I don't know." <laughs> it could have been for the completely the wrong story, and. I actually had to go look because I could not think of what I had posted. And I mean, really for all I knew, it could have been a completely different project, but I was a complete blank. So So when I had a day when I was alert and I could get some more writing done, I just banged it out. 
I'm like, I'm just going to finish. I'm already here. I'm at the finish line. I'm going to finish. I'm having a hard time concentrating. My sugar must be just not even stopping. I'm just... <laughs> I get really bad headaches when my sugar is too high. Well, my, I say I'm, that I'm and getting I a headache. Get off, it's coming. I, get, I, I say that and I try to get off the headache. Off the headache. <laughs> I try to get off the podcast and go right and have some ice cream. <laughs> because I guess just what I plan to do. <laughs> her Her mission... Which she's obviously accepted. <laughs> my mission is to ruin to my ice cream. cream. Yeah. I actually have some sugar-free ice cream. I was going to have some ice cream, but um, I probably should not have any ice cream because it, it doesn't have sugar, but it still has carbs. So, um, And those count. Unfortunately. Yeah. And milk sugars really spike your blood sugar. My, it does. Yeah, I have a really hard time with milk sugars. So, but I do okay with fruit sugars, as a as a rule. So, which is nice. Um, but I still can only have a certain amount. Yeah, I can have protein. I can have some chicken. Um, I can have a chicken salad and some cheese. She needs some 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 fat and some protein and yeah, but no more. No more carbs. No more carbs for the day. For the day. But yeah, it probably was the spaghetti because I didn't take my my medication until after I'd already eaten the spaghetti, and I should have done the medication before I ate, and that would probably helped. Um. So, anyways, we're down to a minute and thirty seven seconds. I hope you guys have a really great weekend, and for those of you who are riding in rough trade, um, continue doing such great, awesome work. It's going to be, um, it's been really entertaining so far. Um, we've got two stories that are complete that I'm aware of. Um, and uh, it's just, it's awesome over here. So you guys go over to Rough Trade and read. You've got 300K to read right now. What's stopping you? Get on it. It's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you guys have a great weekend. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. Thank you.